welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Okay, my friends of second hour, if you would find your seats, that would be fabuloso. I would love to introduce to you and welcome to our gathering and platform, Mr. Mark Markison. So if you would give him a warm second hour welcome, Mark Markison. Every once in a while at Awaken, we do what we call artist in residence, and basically we want to connect the belief, the idea that God is a creative God, that the very nature and essence of God is creativity, and this impulse is in you and I. And so part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we make stuff, all of us, everybody. Uh, and that's a part of worship, that's a part of uh, what we affirm and want to be connected to. So Artist-in-Residence helps to do that in our gatherings, so Mark is our Artist-in-Residence for this, this month. Welcome, Mark! Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Would you tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, what you do day-to-day? -day? Yeah. Start um, there. Okay, from day-to-day, -day, um, I actually work for an organization called Wycliffe Bible Translators, and I'm an illustrator, and that ties it directly into what they do with literacy work around the world in languages that are not really mainstream. But still, some of those languages have millions of, of people that speak those languages. So the things taught in the schools don't pertain to them. Their main culture doesn't pertain to them, any of that stuff. So when they do linguistics work and develop alphabets and help those people with literacy materials, that's where I come in. I'm sure we all remember the pictures we had in grade school where we had, you know, I don't know, see Jane run or something like that, you know. And uh, so I do illustrations, uh, hopefully culturally appropriate illustrations for the area of the world where that kind of work is being done. Mark, are you responsible for flannel graphs? I am not okay. responsible for flannel graphs. It's too bad. That's a, you know, that was a real hit back in the day. It's got a real spot in a lot of people's hearts, uh -huh. flannel graph. Right. Well, okay. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about your journey as an artist. Like, where did it begin? What's, uh, what shaped it, informed it? How did you know when you were a kid? Um, I don't think I actually knew, in a sense, but I, I just always loved drawing and art, and I loved uh, things about nature. I loved birds. I would pour for hours over a blue jay feather or something I saw mm. crawling on the ground or whatever. I just loved all of that stuff and felt very drawn to it. Did you collect them as a kid? I did. I had, and yes, all kinds of stuff. It was really nice when the bugs got in and ate some of it, and yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I still collect things. Last year, I picked up a dead bird outside of our window that had run into the window and stuck it in the freezer. And my wife of seven months now kind of freaked when it fell out of the no freezer. No kidding. <laughs> that's a surprise. I put it in a plastic bag. Well, it was... Thank you. Thank you for that. Anyway, I never grew out of that phase, obviously. <laughs> and um, so now I continue to draw and do artwork, both oil painting and illustration. Cool. Um, where do you find inspiration for your work? You've got some oil paintings in the back, you have some illustration, the illustration obviously connected to your work, but what inspires your, the creative impulse in you, the muse as it were? Um, I think that same love, that interest in things that I have never grown out of. Hmm. And later on, um, I didn't actually get a degree in art, um, I actually got my degree in linguistic anthropology, and so it kind of extended to um, different cultures and people groups and 
social systems, all that kind of stuff that you have all over the world. I'm just fascinated by all of that. I also grew up reading National Geographic. Um, there you go. Just pouring over stacks of them as a little kid in the basement. So. Very cool. What, um, or how does faith and your spiritual life kind of inform your creative process or endeavors? Um, I actually tried to run away from the art at one point. I thought I wanted to do and thought also that God wanted me to do something more spiritual. And um, he did, in fact, want me to be involved in missions, but not like what I thought. Hmm. And um, through a series of, well, four or five years of events and a lot of illness and sickness, one day um, when I was just miserable, I was standing in the shower in Thailand and crying and, and just sick. And, um, and I, in my head, that wasn't audible, I felt like the Lord said to me, are you finally willing to just be an artist? And so I had to say, yes, because when you're that miserable, what, what else, what are you going to do, you know? You shared first hour what inspired that moment. There, well, was, there was a really huge land snail crawling up the inside shower So there wall. you go. If you'd like spiritual moments with yeah. God, you need snails was, in Thailand. It was sort of earthy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and, and to, to this day, when I'm doing certain illustrations or when I'm painting, just like some of you who, who I have no idea what it's like for you who do business and things with numbers because I can't do that stuff. But for those of you who are athletes or who are music, musicians or other artists or any of you that do anything like that, there's this sweet spot that you find sometimes when you're engaged with what you're doing and everything just flows. And for me, that's actually almost a type of worship. Um, that's when I feel closest to the Lord, um, even more so than when I've had my, my quiet time or the time where I try to spend praying or listening or whatever. Um, that, that moment, that time each yeah. day when I run into that is, is really special to me. That's, and it's inspiring to me. Many wouldn't call it a type of worship. They would just say that's worship. Yeah, okay. I See, I'm still growing. I still have things to learn about all this. Yeah, when your soul sings, right? Um, Mark has got some unbelievable work in the back. If you have not looked at that yet today, please do. It'll be up for the next couple of months or the next month or so. Uh, and uh, if you'd like, if you're interested in purchasing any of it, please talk to Mark. Um, we think that artists who are trying to do this for a living should do this for a living because their work is important to the world and to the church. And so we want to support that in any way we can. Amen. So please talk to Mark if you're interested in that. All right, let's give him a thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so, hi, everybody. I'm Micah. I am the lead pastor here at Awaken. I'm back. Uh, I was in Florida with my wife. I was in um, Louisville, Kentucky, at the Evangelical Covenant Church's Midwinter Conference representing Awaken. So, you're welcome. Uh, they say hello, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of good times. Chris did a great, great job last week, so thank you, Chris. Uh, week two of our series on Joseph. Um, I came back to uh, a broken wrist. My, my youngest flew off the high bars and broke a wrist, and my dog ate a sock, which we had to have surgically removed. So I was the guy that said, like, at a certain point of dollars, the dog is a goner. But then you look into the sweet face of that canine, and you say things like, can you put a price tag on this dog? And the answer is no. You can't. Mother. So don't go to Louisville, because your dog might eat a sock. 
Um, so I'm glad to be back. Did you know it's Black History Month? It's Black History Month. February is Black History Month. If you've never um, looked into that at all, I would encourage you to do so for lots of different reasons. Um, and if you do nothing else, just go see the movie Hidden Figures. It's really, really great. I, we saw that while we were in Florida. It was raining in Florida. We saw that. Um, man, that sounded a lot like the president. We saw that in Florida. We saw that. It was awesome. <laughs> wow. Um, but there are lots of things happening in the Twin Cities that you could engage related to that, so I would encourage you to do so. Um, Genesis chapter 37, we're in week three of our series on Joseph. I want to invite you to stand, if you can, for the reading of the scriptures. We'll begin in verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off to the, from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived in Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Pray with me. God, this morning as we gather, we do so as one small little part of your church, which gathers all around the world. And we want to be found faithful, doing and being the things that you've called us to do and be in the world. So from your word, from our time together, from your spirit present in our midst, inspire us, challenge us, invite us to move towards those things that you've envisioned and hoped for us to be. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> Joseph is sent by his father to go see to his brother's well-being. He says, very well. Then he's found in a field and is asked a question by a man about, what are you doing? And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. Man, oh man, this one is dense, really, really thick, a lot happening in this passage. Words matter a great deal in the Bible. You probably know this to be true because you are human and you speak a language. So words are important. In the text, though, there are some words that sort of come up off the pages of the text and just hover throughout the whole story. And we find them over and over and over again. The idea of tov being one example. God said that it was good. So what is good? What God Im embeds in creation, the potential for life, and then when creation itself brings it forth with, well, more life in it. God says this is good. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. Uh, the idea of Torah, the Bible, the first five books for the Jewish people is called Torah, often translated law. Torah actually means to cast an object in a direction. So God's word means to cast an object or one's life in a particular direction. The word hate, or translated sin, means to miss the mark. And then the word teshuva, or shuv, means to return or turn. So one could argue that the entire spiritual life is Torah, hate, and shuv. Torah, casting an object towards a direction or, or a target. When we miss that mark, we turn and return. Torah, hate, shuv. Words are really important. Shabbat, the word we translate Sabbath. It means to stop. The only thing in the scriptures, or the first thing in scriptures, I should say, called holy, kadosh, is time. Sabbath, the seventh day. 
The first thing God calls holy. So words matter a great deal. And I want to suggest to you this morning that we're going to talk about and sort of center our time on a word that means maybe more than any other word in the text, in my humble opinion. Because of where it shows up, who it shows up to, and what happens to those people when they say it. The word is hineni, translated here I am. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to look at this text, and there's two words that I want to talk about that sort of get us to the last word that I want to talk about, hineni. So we're going to look at these two, and then we're going to look at this one. You with me? All right, people, here we go. Stretch, buckle up, ready? I'm going to do some running. Okay, the first word is this, ahava. Ahava means love, or is translated love in the text. Now, you've heard me say this before, but where a word shows up for the first time means a, a great deal. It often sort of sets the trajectory or the tracks upon which that word will run. And often, when people use it later in the text, they're sort of taking the word in its original usage or its first usage and pulling that idea into what they're talking about. You with me? You following? So first usage matters a great deal. The first usage of this small and insignificant word we use, love, is in Genesis chapter 22. And it's in a shocking spot. Many people don't guess this one when I play Torah trivia. Where is the first usage of the word love in Scripture? This is not where people usually go. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2 read this way. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am. Hineni. Then God said, take your son, your only son, the one whom you love, Isaac, the one whom you love, Isaac, Go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. The first usage of the word love in the scriptures is a father who's willing to sacrifice his son. Now, regardless of that story and what you think about it, there's a lot to be said about Abraham and Isaac, and there's midrash, and there's commentary, and there's, there is no shortage of commentary on this story and how to understand it. We're going to put that aside just for this morning's sake, recognizing that there is a lot there. But I, wanna, I bring it up only to say it's important to note that the first usage of the word love in the Bible is about a father who's willing to sacrifice his son. So in our story, Genesis 37, a few chapters later, 15 to be exact, Israel, whose name used to be Jacob, speaks to his son whom he loves, which we know, Joseph, the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, and he sends him to his brothers who hate him. Israel is the second father in the text that we see, willing to sacrifice the son whom he loves for someone else. And he's certainly not going to be the last, right? So love, I would suggest, is always connected to sacrifice. Love is always connected to being willing to give up something of value to oneself for the sake of another. This is the essence of love. This is the base level of love. This is what love is driven by. When I am willing to sacrifice something of value to myself for the other. This is what we see love to mean in the text over and over again. So we have this conversation about love, right? And a father who loves his son, who's willing to send his son into a context where his brothers hate him unto death. And then we have this word peace, shalom. Now, I grew up in a family with four brothers. There were five boys, and so there was no peace in my home, right? There was just always bickering and bantering and throwing things. My, I had a brother who literally once threw, do you guys remember the pencil sharpeners that you would like anchor to a desktop with bolts and screws? 
It was not anchored. It picked up and launched at me at one point. I, was, I had butter knives thrown at me, numbers of things. So peace, right? Peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is not just when two countries are not at war. Peace is far bigger than that, according to the scriptures. In the beginning, God makes the world and calls it all good. And there is peace. There is shalom. There is harmony. One author says, universal flourishing wholeness and delight. That's peace. That's shalom. It's where there's right relationship between us and God, us and one another, and us and the world that we live in. This is called, in the Hebrew mind, peace, shalom. And of course we know there's an active volitional rupture or breaking of that peace by the first humans, which sets the trajectory for the whole story. This is the work of God in the text that we call the Bible. God redeeming, restoring, reconciling, reminding humanity that everything they have can be found in God, that there's nothing to be wanted that God does not offer to us in love and in grace. It's peace, shalom, it's harmony. In our story in Genesis 37, I would suggest to you that the author knows this and is pulling this thread through the text because What we don't get translated very well here, and which is unfortunate, if actually the New King James usually gets the Hebrew pretty close, but we don't get it in this text. There are two mentions of peace in here. They are uh, when Joseph is sent by his father to see to his brother's well-being or see to their their, their flocks, to see to the shalom of his brothers. He's sent by his father, whom loves him, or who loves him, into this place where his brothers hate him to do what? See to the shalom of his brothers. Shalom shows up again and again and again. And it says that his brothers hated him and couldn't speak a kind word to him. The text says that his brothers hated him unto death and couldn't speak a word of peace about him. So this is where Joseph is sent. Does anybody else remember a moment in the text when a brother hates his his brother unto death? This is Cain and Abel, right? Genesis chapter 4. So we're all the way back at the beginning. Whoever wrote this was brilliant. (laughs) Took the first hour a couple minutes to get that too. But the author of this is really, really good. And they're just pulling these threads from the stories that we've already heard into this one. So here we have Joseph being sent by his father who loves him into this context where his brothers hate him, to see to the shalom of his brothers and the peace of his brothers. And so he arrives in Shechem and is greeted by a man in a field with a question. This is Genesis 4 again, where Abel is in a field and a man shows up, or God, and asks a question. And Abel answers, no, Cain. Cain kills Abel, right? Cain says, Abel's dead, he's out of the story. Cain answers, am I my brother's guard? Am I my brother's keeper? Am I to be caring for the shalom of my brother? Like, is that my responsibility? A fascinating and deep question that we find in Genesis 4. And Joseph is the first person to answer it in the text. Yes, I am looking for my brothers, he says to the man. So we have love, and we have peace, love and peace, and then we have Hineni. Here I am. Joseph replies to his father, very well, he replies. That's Hineni. 
And you guys, you have no idea how many people in the text have said Hineni. Abraham says it, Moses says it, uh, David says it, Samuel says it when he's woken up by a dream. We have Joseph saying it here, Jacob says it. A whole bunch of people say, here I am. So what does here I am even mean? What does it mean to say Hineni? Well, it doesn't mean when you're sitting here at a restaurant and you're talking to somebody and, oh yeah, totally, that's awesome, cool. Oh my gosh, no kidding. Oh wow, okay, cool, yeah. Or when your kids are saying, dad, 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure, you can go. Yeah, that's fine, whatever. And then your wife says, where is your daughter? And you're like, I have no idea. That is not Hineni. <laughs> right? Is she sleeping over at someone's house? I'm pretty sure she is. <laughs> What's her name? It's either Ella or Gabby. I'm not sure which. <laughs> that was yesterday at the Witham House, friends. <laughs> not Hineni. Hineni is like, here I am, present and accounted for. When I was in uh, high school, we did this dumb routine at the beginning of every game for my hockey team where we'd go around the locker room and we'd say, you know, Josh Seifert, 100%. Tim Nelson, 100%. And, and then I would say, and we did, everyone would say their nicknames, right? And I would say my nickname, 100%. Hineni, here I am. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. My nickname was Opie. Yeah, somebody want to whistle the song? Yeah. Here I am, 100%, I'm ready. And then there was this one knucklehead who'd be like, Josh Seifer, 110%. You're like, seriously? Come on, don't do that. That's not cool. <laughs> Hineni is what many of you have said to your work, your vocation, your calling, your motherhood, your fatherhood. It's what I said when I decided to plant this church sitting on the shore of Lake Mille Lacs. Here I am, Hineni. Hineni is what you say when you go into conflict with someone else and you go in to resolve that conflict. That's a Hineni moment. When you work to resolve conflict with your kids as parents, here I am, Hineni. Sex is Hineni. Marriage is Hineni. True friendship and companionship. I would argue you can't have intimacy without Hineni. You can't have love and you can't have peace without this word. Brene Brown, any Brene Brown fans out there? Daring greatly, that's Hineni. Rising strong, that's Hineni. It's all, it's all there. Naked and vulnerable. When you show up and you, you say, here I am, all of me, for all that you have for me, God, or whoever that person is in front of you, that's Hineni. So a few observations about this word as we round third and head towards home. What does it mean to say this word? What does it mean to utter it? What does it mean to speak it and own it? It's important to say first that God says it first. I think that the most important piece to this word is that the God of the Bible, the, the God of the universe, the, the living God says Hineni to you and I. When God creates the world as we know it, as we understand it in Genesis, it's essentially God saying, here I am. All of this is yours, including me, Hineni, here I am. When God gives Charlton Heston Torah on Mount Sinai and to the Jewish people, here I am, here I am, here I am. When God says to the people of Israel, I will tabernacle among you, I will live among you, you will be my people and I will be your God, here I am. When Jesus and the place of Israel hangs on a cross, God says for all of eternity, 
here I am. What does it mean to say that the God of the universe, the God of this text, is not somewhere else, not somewhere far off, not distant and uncaring, but one who says to you and to me today, in this moment, right here, right now, 1147 on February 5th, here I am. Game changer. God says it first. God's the first mover. God's the first lover. And God invites us to say it back. This is the story of the scriptures. Does anybody remember in the Bible, at the very beginning, the first time that we hear God's voice to the humans, like in a conversation or in quotes, as it were, we get stories about, and God said this and God said that, but like the first time God speaks to them, it's a question. And the question is, where are you? The whole Bible is attempting to say that the God that it's referencing is one who says, here I am, where are you? The spiritual journey begins right here, when you can answer the question, where are you? Because if you cannot identify where you are, there's no place to begin from. So where are you today? You walked in these doors this morning and you brought all kinds of things into this room. Where are you? Hiding? Addicted? Broken? Ashamed? Turned around? Coming back? To just name it is to say, here I am. And the journey begins here. So I would ask you this morning, just honestly, if there were no one else around and you were in this room all to yourself, how would you answer that question? Where are you? This is not a question of guilt and shame and indictment. The church does just fine doing that. This is not God's heart. This is a question of love and of great care and of intimacy and of desire. Where are you? God says it first. God asks us the same question. And when we have the courage and the capacity and the wherewithal to say, here I am, it means something. It means that those who say yes to God, those who say here I am, are sent in peace and sent for peace. You can't have love and you can't have peace without Hineni. And so when we say Hineni to God, it means that we're sent in love and for peace into the world. Over and over and over and over again, you see in the scriptures that God is not taking people out of the world, but rather sending people back into the world for the sake of peace and for the sake of love. God is not attempting to sort of quarantine people behind a wall, hoping and waiting for some other day when God will evacuate all those who love God and, and leave those who don't. That's not the story of the scriptures, in case you did not know. The story of the scriptures is a God who's saying, get back out there now that you've said yes. Go in peace and in love. Be ambassadors, be light, be a city on a hill, be healing agents, be hope for the world. Go, go, go. For any and all, we're opening the doors as wide as we can, friends. For any and all, it's effective for everybody and any who will say yes. So go, go, go in the name of peace and for the sake of love. Amen, Brother Micah. So when we say yes to God, when we say Hineni, it means that we're sent in peace and for peace. For the sake of the world, we just sang it. And lastly, I'll say this. And friends, I'm fitting to get in your grill for just a moment, if I may. I hope you, that's, that's code word for, I'm about to uh, offer a word of challenge. 
fitting to get in your grill because I love you and I hope you trust me as your pastor. For those of you who are here for the first time, well, <laughs> go back and listen to the podcast and then listen to this one again. When we say hineni, it means we're responsible for something. And I could, we could do a whole series on the things that we become responsible for, for the, sake of the, for the sake of the gospel and the good news in the world, when we say hineni. There's lots of them. But I want to focus on one that's maybe a little bit more appropriate for us this morning. And friends, there's a lot, this, is a t- this is a tricky book. This is a tough one sometimes. There's a lot of things in here that are hard to get, hard to understand, hard to interpret. Hard to sort of get to the bottom of. When you think you pin them down, they sort of like squeeze out on the other side. You can't get it, right? I get that. But this one, it's pretty clear. There's not a lot of room for ambiguity on this one. It seems to be crystal clear in Scripture. So what are we responsible for? When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were foreigners. Leviticus chapter 19. He, God, defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. Are you, you, and you are to love those who are foreigners, for you yourselves were foreigners. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Now this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Ezekiel chapter 16. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. Exodus, so I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers, perjurers against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigner among you of justice, says the Lord Almighty. Malachi chapter 3. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as you do your own people Israel, and may know that this house... I have built bears your name, 1 Kings chapter 8. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me, Matthew chapter 5. Should I keep going? Church of Jesus Christ. I admonish you with all humility and sincerity to listen to the clear and resolute clarion call of the scriptures to engage in this crisis that we see in our world. To be Christian means you engage, period. You can't get out of this one. The scriptures are so clear, it's not even funny. So to be a Christian means you engage, period, end. Now, this is where it gets difficult. How? What does it look like? How do you, how do I internalize this message, this command, this invitation of the living God to care for the poor and the widow and the alien and the stranger and the refugee among you? How do you do it? This is where it gets difficult, complicated, nuanced, and it requires great skill and precision and work, which is why many of us never engage. It's hard work, but you can't, we, we, we cannot get out of this. So for some of you, it will mean 
tirelessly working to reform the policies that inform this conversation. It will mean lobbying. It will mean writing letters to congresspersons and your representatives. It will mean grassroots engagements at a local level and local elections which actually make a difference. Come on now, Brother Micah. It will mean for some of you, using your homes and the places of your residence to welcome people in, to fix places that can welcome people in because someone else took you in. It will mean for some of you and for some of us who have incredible gifts to make money, to make money and resource the work that is being done by those who have sacrificed their capacity to earn money so they can devote their lives to this issue. It will mean for some of us, and maybe for all of us, but for certainly for some of you who have gifts in this area, to fight a battle of intercession on your knees in prayer and in solidarity with the poor and the alien and the stranger and the refugee in the world. It will mean for some of us resisting and protesting. It will mean standing up to systems and institutions. It will mean marching. It will mean organizing. It will mean gathering actual human beings in actual places to say something with your voices. Here's what I'm quite convinced it doesn't mean. Using Facebook and social media as your primary and sole source of engagement. Preach. Does Facebook and Twitter and social media have a, pl a place in this conversation? Absolutely. Leverage it. Use it. Take advantage of it to gather people for whatever cause, whatever initiative, whatever effort you want to make in this conversation. Use it. But if it remains the sole and only source of engagement, I would submit to you that it's possibly more about you than about other. There's actually studies that have been done about what happens in our brains. It's called dopamine. And when we like and share and rant and post and tweet and Twitter, there's actual things happening in our brains. And scientists are arguing that's what ha what's happening more often than not in those contexts are dopamine rushes in our brains, which actually happen to addicts when they get their fix. Science, I'm just telling you. It cannot be the only source of engagement for the church. That's my point. It cannot be. It's got to go beyond that. So use it, yes. Leverage it, yes. But do not stop there, my friends, because if you do, it is anemic, and it doesn't change anything for the people it actually matters most for. Come on! Where's page six? That's four. Okay. I, I offer this challenge to you in love. Honestly, I do. Here are, uh, here are a couple of possibilities. I want to leave you with like actual something in your hands that you can think about and consider. This is a giant conversation. We say hineni. We say yes to God. It means we're responsible to something and, and for some things in the world. And friends, your heart may be passionate and you may be engaged in a conversation that's outside of this or in a different direction than this. That's totally fine. And I affirm that and I say yes to that. Keep going, keep going, keep going. But for the church right now, this is one that's right in front of us. So how could you, how might you say yes if the Lord might tweak your heart this morning a little bit? There's a couple of organizations I want to mention. One is called IFAR, International Association for Refugees. The guy who runs this organization sits right here in the first hour. His name's Tom Albinson. He's been doing refugee work for years and years and years and years, and he is more passionate than any human I know about the issue. He is a wealth of information. 
and the organization he runs, he's in Budapest, Hungary right now, meeting with over 120 uh, people from 20, over 20 different countries about how the church can respond to the refugee crisis in the world. There are, there are people all over this congregation who are doing work, and it's usually in secret. So I'm sorry, Tom, I'm taking your reward, but I'm telling everybody about it. Many of you are doing work in secret. I say, yes, good work, church, well done. Somebody talked about that once. His name was Jesus. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, and don't go out on the corners and post it on Facebook. Do it in secret, and you will be rewarded by your Father in heaven, right? We know this. So there's work that's being done all over. And, and, and if you knew, you'd be proud. I know more than you do sometimes because I'm the pastor on who's doing what in our church. So this is just one possibility, one guy doing a number of things. IFAR, a, a plethora of information on this website. Did you know that the Covenant Church is doing a lot of work on the issues of refugees and crisis in the world? I was just at midwinter. Our president of our denomination stood on the stage and he said, as the covenant, we are resolute in our commitment to refugee and resettlement in this world, which was met by two minutes of standing ovation from the clergy and ministerium who lead covenant churches across the country and in the world. <laughs> Friends, you're a part of that. When you give resources to this church, don't disconnect your heart from it. I appreciate the automatic withdrawal because summer means it's not like crazy time and we're trying to figure out how to make it around here. Thank you. But don't forget. Don't forget that you're a part of that story. Don't forget that your heart is connected to those things. Remember those things. So maybe just out of like, I don't know, uh, an, act, uh, an act of remembrance, like come up here on a Sunday, walk over to this little offering basket. By the way, this is where they are. It's black. They're at every exit. And just put something in there and say, God, for the work you're doing for refugees in the world, I, I am with you and we're for it and like more and more. Just do that. You don't have to, but <laughs> don't forget is what I'm saying. Uh, there are life groups in our church who just sort of took it upon themselves because they had, they had a heart for this and God burdened them for this. And they've taken it upon themselves to like welcome asylum seekers into our country and to go over to their homes and give them meals and spend time with them and befriend them. They didn't ask me. They didn't write a proposal and they didn't put something together that said, hey, Mr. Pastor, do you think we could go do this? You don't have to ask my permission to go and be a part of God's work in the world, friends. You could do this on your own. So if you're a leader of a life group, lead. Maybe it's not this, but some other issue. Like, you don't have to ask my permission. If you need my blessing, blessings, blessings, blessings from now until I die, you have it, go do it. Okay? Go. Be the church in the world. You don't need my permission. You don't need Awakens endorsement. Do it. Lastly, I'll say this. Jenna, Pastor Jenna, is working with a group of people here at Awaken who are passionate about this conversation and who want to offer our community ways to engage and respond. That work, we, will, we are committed to not let it be a knee-jerk response. We want it to be something that is of lasting impact and is rooted in who we are as a community, and so it's taking time. That's what things do when you want them to matter. There's discernment, and there's prayer, and there's conversation, so be patient. Be ready, be willing, be, be, be listening for when this little huddle of people says, hey, here's something we want to offer for the community to engage in. But it's happening, and it's happening underneath the radar, which is like how we like to do it at Awaken, okay? Holla back at you.
I think I'm done for today. Evidently, there's a football game later. Hineni, love and peace. You can't have Hineni. You can't have love and you can't have peace without Hineni. If the church of Jesus Christ in the world is sent in love and sent for peace, you can't get there without here I am. So as a church, are we willing to say, God, here we are. Use us. Spend us for the sake of the gospel in the world. Even unto death, Paul says. Are we willing to say that as a community? You, individually. What does it mean for you to stand right where you are today and say, here I am, Hineni. Be careful. Do not say it if you don't mean it. Here I am, Hineni. All of me, vulnerable, naked, holding nothing back, that's Hineni. Maybe for the first time, you say that to God. Maybe for the hundredth time, you say that to God this morning. If we're sent in love for peace, you can't get there without here I am. Hineni. Pray with me. God, this morning, before we take a few moments uh, for silence, because you often like to say things that I haven't said or that we haven't prepared, we trust ourselves and our hearts to you to the degree that we can this morning. And we come to you in this moment. Holy Spirit, be alive, be active, be present. Speak to us, I pray. Lead us. We trust you. You are the spirit of truth, and so we, we, we trust you. But Holy Spirit, lead us. Speak to us. Whatever it means for each of us to say Hineni, this morning I pray we would have the courage to say it and to stand in it and to hear what you have, all of me, for all that you have for me, all of us, for all that you have for us. Amen. My hope and prayer for us as a community, that we would be found faithful, sent in love for peace, saying, here we are, God, wherever we hear, trusting and knowing that this work is only, it only lasts, it only transforms when it's, when it's inspired by the Spirit of God at work in our midst. So, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace, my friends. Go change the world. Super Bowl Sunday. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash awakeningcommunity or on Twitter at awakeningcommunity. See you next time.